Hey guys, so uh, we've been talking lately about the tithe. The last two or three messages have been on tithing and as a New Testament church, should we be tithing today? And uh, again, it's not our concern whether you give. I mean, it is our concern that you give, okay? Uh, And that's really what we're going to be talking about today because... Our our whole thing is is if you want to give ten percent of your money, go go for it. If you want to give twenty percent, if you want to give a hundred percent of your money away, whatever you know, if that's what the Lord tells you to do, we're not trying to say don't give uh, or anything like that. Basically, our whole thing is is as a church or pastors teaching that the New Testament church is under this obligation from the Word of God that we are to give 10% of our finances. And that's just not true, okay? So, but but we are to be givers as, as believers. As, as Christians, we should be some of the most uh, giving people that there are. People should, you know, uh, people should know us and recognize that we're Christians by our love for one another, right? So we, uh, one of the distinguishing marks of a Christian should be love, and part of and and as love, it's not we're not when we talk about loving people, we're not talking about some emotion or giving people hugs or things of that nature. We're talking about love where it matters, love where people, you know, where it meets the streets and where the where the rubber hits the road. And uh, the Bible contains over 2,000 verses on giving, all right? And, you know, and, and Jesus spoke more about giving than any other topic. And so, you know, we don't want to be fixated or focused on giving, but it is a very important part of being a Christian, okay? And so... The thing about it is, but what we want to talk about is, and so, and that's the point is that we don't want to just talk about the negatives, okay? What we're not supposed to do, we're not supposed to be bound by these these man-made rules and these laws and things of that nature, but we are to give. So how are we to give? Where are we to give? And things of that nature. So, um, and uh, again, giving and being givers, it being givers is woven into the fabric of the church throughout the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Again, we believers should be known as the most generous people on the planet. I know um, we used to live in a place where there was a big missions organization, and uh, the people of the town, they they one of their major complaints are is these missionary uh, young people will come into a restaurant like 10 or 12 of them take up a table and order like a couple cups of coffee, maybe a dessert or whatever, and spend hours there taking up the tables. And then on top of that, they wouldn't tip, right? And so, and I know lots of Christians who, who, who they're hard pressed to leave any kind of a tip for their waitress or what have you and things. And, and, uh, and, and so again, the point is, is that as believers, we should be known as people who will give. And, and when, when we talk about giving too, we want to be clear that giving is not only money. Okay. When, when we talk about giving, uh, you know, and all this, all this, the thoughts of, of giving and being generous, generosity is a way of life. 
And that's the whole point. Generosity is who you are, not what you do. I give not because I'm commanded to give or because there's this stipulation that I'm supposed to give a certain amount. I give because that's who God has made me to be. God God laid down his life for us. He sent his only son. He sent the best thing that he had for us here on earth. And so in, you know, so if we're to be like Jesus, if we're to allow the same spirit that live in us, that lives in God, then that spirit is a spirit of giving, right? It's not a spirit of misering and, and holding every penny and refusing to help others out and things like that. And so again, giving is not just just monetary. It's it can be it can be help. It can be uh, time. It can be, you know, whatever skill you have is to be used to to, to demonstrate others. the gospel, and right? To bless, and to bless people. Yeah, and to bless others. Um, it's it's my belief that if the church were doing its part, much of the suffering in this world could be alleviated. As it is, much of the uh, much good is being done through missionary relief organizations, food banks. You know, there's all these kinds of things, relief funds. Again, uh, you know, when whenever there's a hurricane, whenever there's a tornado, Christians are always the first ones to get there and assist in aid, water, food, clothes, and all that kind of thing. And that's awesome. But again, what more could we be doing as a church, right? Um, and again, God has gifted each one of us. He has given each one of us talents, giftings, abilities that we are able to impact people around us with our gifts, with our abilities, with our time, uh, whether it be comfort, whether it be um, encouragement, um, whatever it is that God has given you. Okay. Um, so as as. And so we want to look at uh, how we as New Testament believers are to give. And the one, th the first thing that I want to look at is, yes, we are to support our leaders. Okay. So when, when we talk about that, we don't feel like we're still under obligation to tithe and things like that. Again, I'm not saying that we aren't supposed to give. And if you are going to a church, if you go every Sunday to a church, churches have um, financial obligations, right? And we're going to talk a little bit about that because I think we've kind of gotten away from that. But the Bible is very clear that we are to support those who labor in the word for us. We are to give them honor and we are, we are to support them. Paul, Paul talked about how, how it was okay for the apostles to be supported monetarily. Um, turn to, um, um, Matthew 10, verse 5. Well, actually, we'll skip Matthew 10, but in Matthew 10, when Jesus sent out the disciples, he said, freely you have been given, so freely give. All right? And so turn to First um, Timothy chapter 5. First Timothy chapter five, verse 17. It says, elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. So we are to, uh, to honor the people who, who, who are elders in the church, people that God has raised up the fivefold ministry. 
It says, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching, for the scripture says in verse 18, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So again, we believe that ministers deserve to be um, supported monetarily. Turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. It says, The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that this he will reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not we do not grow weary. Look at this in verse 10. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So again, God says that we are to to sow to ministries that, that God has raised up to those who feed us the word of God. And again, this is not saying that just, just give your money... Here's the thing. God wants us to be wise stewards of the money that he gives us, right? And so we we don't just give our money to every preacher that comes on television begging or anything like that. We know the people that we give to, right? Um, we, just, should. And we should, right? You should know the people that labor among you. You should know whether this is a true man of God, true woman of God, or whether this is a sheep in wolf's clothing. And there is no compunction in the word of God. As a matter of fact, it, we should not be giving any money, any support to wolves. Right? We should not be giving any of our finances anything to support false ministries and people who are just taking advantage of people. We have a responsibility about that, and I think we forget that sometimes. We do. I mean, we are stewards of the things that God gives us. And so, again, you know... There's a popular saying that it doesn't matter where it goes because... Your job is just to give it. It's God's job to, you know, put it where it belongs, and God just honors your giving. And and that takes a lot of responsibility off of us when we need to be. God does expect us to know where we sow our seed. Right. And, yeah, and, and that's the thing as Christians is we're not responsible a lot of times. And, and so much of the time, we as believers, we get caught up in our emotions, right? You know, uh, television... You'll be watching television and a commercial comes up and they're playing this song that just rips your heart and they show these pictures of these poor puppies that are suffering and things like that. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but I'm just saying so much of our giving is based on emotionalism rather than than being stewards and thoughtfully, prayerfully asking God, where should I put my finances? Amen. 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 Uh, First Corinthians... 9 verse 1. And this is Paul writing to to the Corinthians. He says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is Paul giving an a defense of his apostleship. 
My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or do, or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? You see that? So Paul's saying that as apostles, we have a right not to work. Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I am not speaking these things according, according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written you, uh, in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? So Paul is again going back to the Old Testament law. And again, in this is just kind of a micro picture of how we look at the Old Testament. The Old Testament were physical realities, which in the New Testament are spiritual realities. Verse 8, I'm not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? Uh, verse 10, or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written, because a plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we look at this, what Paul says. Nevertheless, we do not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. So what Paul is saying is that we as apostles, we as uh, the, the founders of this church, we who have labored night and day over you, who, who pray over you, who, who seek the word of God to instruct you, diligently and work hard for the purposes of the gospel. We deserve to be supported uh, in this work of the gospel. But Paul is saying, but we, uh, myself and Barnabas, we choose not to receive that support. And I think that this is awesome. I think it's admirable, uh, especially to these, to these pastors that live in these mansions and live these luxurious lifestyles. Paul could have taken money from these people but he said, we have chosen not to do that, even though we have a right to do it. Now, I'm not saying this, this is something that every preacher should do or anything like that. I'm just looking at it and saying, this is awesome, right? This is the pinnacle. Everyone wants to be like the Apostle Paul. Well, do you want to be like the Apostle Paul in this? Very few preachers, right? And that's the thing. The, preaching is not a vocation. We must understand that preaching is not a job, something that you do to get rewarded for, to get paid for, to get be supported for, but it's okay to be supported, right? Yeah. But you don't do, you, you do your not do not it. Be, right? mm -hmm. Your motive is not to be supported or to do it as a job. Your motive is to, to serve. serve God and the people of God and whatever comes from that is is God's blessing. God's blessing. It's yeah. icing on the cake. Yeah. It says in verse 13, do you not know that those who perform sacred services, he's talking about at the temple, eat the food of the temple and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar. So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. But I have used none of these things, and I'm not writing these things so, you, so that it will be done so in my case. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm not trying to manipulate you by saying this. And so many, 
ways that preachers get money is just nothing more than manipulation. Going through your emotions, trying to get you. I know there's some old lady there that you've got $20 tucked away somewhere. The Lord's wanting you to give that to him today. And it's all manipulation for those who are weak-willed, who are not grounded firmly and established in the Word of God, who know what God is calling them to give to. Verse 15, but I've used none of these things, and I am writing these things so that it will be so that it will be done. I am not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case, for it would be better for me to die than to have any man make my boast an empty one. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I, if I do not preach the gospel. So again, Paul's saying, I'm going to preach the gospel. Whether you give me money, whether you don't give me money, I am not in this for personal gain. I am in this because God has called me to preach the gospel. Verse 17, um, For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward, but if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as to make full use of my right in the gospel. You see that? And so many, you know, preachers talk about, well, I've got this 15 CD sermon set for $20. You know, you got these schools of the prophets where they charge thousands of dollars so that you can come and gain their wisdom and things. Paul said, I do this for free. And so... Again, the scriptures are all about supporting leaders, men and women who labor in the gospel. But here's the thing. Nowhere in the scriptures in the New Testament, you see it in the Old Testament, do you see verses about supporting, about building buildings, right? And I think that this is part of our problem. Um, there's a balance to that. There is a balance to it. But there's a part of our problem. You know, the early church met in houses or they met outdoors. Like it talks about there are places in the New Testament where it talks about they were meeting in Solomon's portico and things like that. And I think part of the problem in our modern day and age is that we, keeping up with the Joneses, have to have the latest, greatest, biggest, most beautiful buildings, Right? These buildings cost millions of dollars. And, and once you've got them built, you have to keep them up. You've got to mow the grass. You've got to pay for the, the, lawn, the lawn keepers. You've got to, you know, and we have gotten away from the simplicity of the gospel. And I'm not saying that, that those things are bad in and of themselves, but you don't can, see it in the New Testament churches. They can drain a lot of resources that could be going to feed the poor and the widows and the right and the single moms and and the thing is, is if you read the New Testament, that was their focus. Their focus was on supporting widows. Their focus was on on feeding the poor, taking care of the poor, and things like that. Their focus was not on building these huge structures. These, these these churches where, you know, we can brag about, well, I go to this church that holds 20,000 people, you know, and then look at the carpet, look at the lights, look at all this beautiful. We went to this one church not too long ago that had this huge fountain in it. 
And I mean, all that's great, all that's beautiful and things like that, but how much more could we be doing as a church? Amen. And again, I'm not, I'm not against those things per se, but it ha- is it that our focus has shifted? Again, we see so many things wrong in Christianity today. Christianity is powerless. Christianity is weak, and it's not reaching. You do not see things like this in the third world churches. You don't see this in the underground church in China. These people meet together to find God. They don't care about the building. They don't care about fountains. They don't care about the lawn. They don't care about anything like that. And it, and part of it, too, is like... And I'm not saying that this is all bad, but we have all these ministries these days, right? You have to have childcare, you have to have nursery, you have to have youth groups, you have to have old people groups, you have to have young singles, you have to have married people, you have to have groups for everything. The church in China doesn't have all these things. You know, when we start church on Sunday morning, the kids go to the one place, the, the, the teenagers go to another place. In the early church, In the church, the underground churches right now, they don't have any of this. And I wonder if we're just spoiled. As we as 21st century Christians, we have to have all these external, meaningless things. It's like, oh, we can't, you know, you can't have a a 16-year-old in in the same meeting, in the same group as an 80-year-old. They can't get anything from each other. That's ridiculous. That's not true. In the the New Testament, Paul said the older women were to teach the younger women. Well, how can you do that if you're always separating them? That's good. And the thing is, is how can we be one people of one mind, one heart, and one accord if we've got all these groups where we're always separated from each other? I need the wisdom of the older people. I need the fire of the younger people. Mm-hmm. And we've got all these divisions. And we've, we've, the way, my point is, is the way we're doing church is we've gotten away the, from the simplicity and purity, which is in Jesus Christ. Jesus preached a gospel that even children could understand. Truth is truth. The gospel is the gospel. The Holy Spirit will open the mind of anyone who is hungry. It doesn't matter if it's male, female, young or old. It doesn't matter. Black or white, yellow, green. It does not matter. We can come into a room and if there's a heart to seek God, God can speak to any person in that room. But again, I think that we in the 21st century church, we have to have all these external things. And it's these external things that we're focused on. It's like when you go to church and they say, welcome to the house of God. That building is not the house of God. The people, we are the temple of the living God. And we're making church about external things rather than the things that are important, the things that matter. Let's get back to the things that matter. Let's put our money on the things that matter, not on the externals. The second point, the New Testament church was very big about giving to the poor. Matter of fact, if you read the New Testament from Matthew to Revelation, more scriptures, when it talks about giving, the vast majority of those scriptures were talking about giving to the poor. 
when you see Paul over and over taking up offerings, he wasn't taking up offerings to have a bigger, faster chariot. <laughs> he wasn't taking up offerings so that he could have a huge house. He didn't even have a house. Jesus didn't have a house. He wasn't taking up offerings for himself so he could live a lavish lifestyle. He was taking up offerings to give to the poor. And we even see this represented in the Old, Old Testament too. Like a lot of the God's problems with Israel is often like the way that they were treating the poor. The, the fact that like people were gaining lavish lifestyles and there were poor among them. Yeah. And, and you know. Over and over. Old Testament, New Testament. It says you're cursed if you don't take care of the poor. Um, turn to Galatians chapter 2. And again, none of the apostles lived lavish lifestyles that we know of. Jesus said, I have no place to lay my head. And yet, the church is filled with people who, who just want to live lavish lifestyles, who have to have a million dollar home, who have to have these expensive cars, who wear $700 pairs of shoes. You know, it's like that Sesame Street thing that used to, one of these things is not like the other. And they show these comparisons and they would have three things that are like each other and then they would have one thing that was totally different. Well, the church in the 21st century does not look like the church in the 1st century. You don't see any of the apostles, any of the disciples, Jesus himself living lavish lifestyles or taking collections so that they could have a lavish lifestyle. They were giving it to the poor. And in Galatians 2 verse 7. So this is when uh, Paul, had be, Paul had been converted and uh, he, he is beginning to preach his gospel and he's getting flack from it. And so he goes up to Jerusalem to the leaders of the church at that time to give a defense of the gospel that he's preaching. And in verse 7. He says, on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as um, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised, effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And he's talking about the leaders and recognizing that the grace had been, excuse me, given to me. James and Cephas and John, who, repute, who were reputed to be pillars in the church, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and, then, and they to the circumcised. So again, here Paul is giving a defense to his gospel. He's going to the leaders of the church and saying, this is what I preach. I mean, are we good? Are we okay? And it says that they gave him the right hand of fellowship, right? It says, so they completely approved of what he's doing. Said, go for it, Paul. Go, you, you're doing great. Look at this in verse 10. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. You see that? So Paul comes and he, he gives a defense of his gospel to the leaders of the church. Tell them what he's doing. Tell them what he wants to do and stuff. And they're like, we only got one thing for you. You're doing great. We like what you're doing. The only thing we want to say is give to the poor. And Paul's like, that's awesome because that's what I was wanting to do anyway. And it's like uh, modern day preachers, they'll go preach at other churches and stuff. And not only do they require you to 
pay for their, their room and board and their airplane and all that, they also require you to take up an offering. So the, these traveling preachers that are often not at their home churches a lot of the year are actually making lots of money out on the road going to various churches and speaking. That's one of the reasons they do it. That's not the only reason, obviously. But. Right. There are preachers that will not come to your church unless you, in the very beginning, give them a certain amount of money. They're like, I won't come to your church for less than $7,000. Plus a love offering. Plus a love offering. Yeah. Paul said, I do these things for free. Right? Turn to Acts chapter 4. While everybody's turning there, um, I just want to point out something Daniel was mentioning in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 15, starting in verse 7, it says, If there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers, in any of your towns that the Lord has given you, you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother, but you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for whatever he needs, whatever he lacks. Beware, lest there be a base thought in your heart, saying the seventh remission is near, and your eye is hostile towards your poor brother, and you give him nothing. Then he may cry to the Lord against you, and it will be a sin unto you. You shall generously give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work. That's good. Acts 4, verse 31. So... This is um, following the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where the baptism, where the Holy Spirit came and tongues of fire on the 120 in the upper room. And God's just really moving in the church. And in verse 31, they had been praying together. And it says, when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they, all, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. So the Holy Spirit is in their midst right it's now. Moving. In 32, and, the, and we're going to see what happens, the characteristic of the Holy Spirit moving. Okay. Verse 32, and the congregation of those who believed were of one heart. Now it says the Holy Spirit filled them, right? The Holy Spirit shook the place. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we, we see preachers all the time who are quote-unquote, filled with the Holy Spirit, begging for money so that they can live lavish lifestyles. Look what the Holy Spirit caused in the hearts of the people in the early church. And the congregation of those who believed, verse 32, were, one, were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. So if I had something that you need, it's yours. Take it, right? It wasn't this, oh, man, I don't know. I might need that in 15 years or something. You know, it's something that I never touch. I never use. It's just sitting in my garage and stuff. But no, I better hold on to that. No, it says it was common property to them. Verse 33, and with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and abundant grace. This is a characteristic of grace. Abundant grace was upon them all. Look what grace does. 34, for there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the, the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet and they would be distributed to each as they had need. You see that? That's awesome. Now, how does that compare with the church today? There are lots of poor people in our churches, right? And, yeah, and a key thing there is that when they laid them at the apostles' feet, 
they would the apostles would distribute them to the needy. It was it didn't say that when they laid their their possessions at the apostles' feet, the apostles hoarded it and built bigger barns and bought a new uh, convertible. It says that they took that those funds and distributed to those who were in need. And in yeah. fact, elected, you know, uh, eventually elected people who were of good reputation and like. Uh, who were, you know, anointed by the Holy Spirit in order to fulfill that ministry. It was so important to them. Right. Like Stephen, I believe that was what he did. Yeah. That's good. Verse 36. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So again, this is what being filled with the Holy Spirit does. This is what Grace having grace upon you does yeah. a, a spirit of giving now we're not going to go into it or anything but acts chapter 5 which follows this immediately talks about the story of ananias and sapphira how they sold some land and they they sold it for a certain amount but they told the apostles that they sold it for lesser than that and stuff and the holy spirit struck them dead because they lied to the holy spirit and so what was it it was a spirit of greed all right and so um let's see I, that's very convicting stuff because i know that i don't line up to all that like so i am right and that's the thing is like the holy spirit wants us to be givers and yeah. so again when we talk about saying that you know god has not called the new testament church to give tithes 10 percent or whatever and stuff he is calling us to be givers and it is something that we should excel more and seek to excel more and being and giving more and more and being and being givers. John Wesley, uh, in the 1700s, was uh, was during his life lifetime. He was one of the richest men in England. But yet, when he died, he had like a couple silver spoons and like just a couple, you know, a a couple dollars worth of money in in his possession. And he left it all to to the Methodist Church. Turn to Acts chapter 11. We're going to be looking a lot of uh, a lot of scriptures on this giving to the poor because I think that it's something that we as a New Testament church we do to some degree, but again, it's something that we could excel still more at. Alex, Acts eleven verse nineteen. And when you say poor, you also are meaning orphans and widows and single moms, right? And things like that too, right? Not just the guy standing on the corner. Who's, yes. Yeah. And the thing is, is we'll look at it. You know, we'll look at it in a little bit, but it's not talking about people who refuse to work. Yeah. Okay, people who refuse to to lift a finger and stuff like that. Now, some people can't work. That's a whole different thing. But it's talking about people who are able-bodied, able-minded and stuff. They're able to work, They're but don't. They're just doing drugs and, right. and just being Yeah. Acts 11, verse 19. So then, so what's happening in Acts 11 is the church is being persecuted for their faith and it's scattered in the the believers to the four winds essentially because it started in Jerusalem so all the believers are getting out of Jerusalem and they're going to different parts of the then known world verse 19 so then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking to the, the word to no one except to Jews alone so we're just looking at the fact that they were scattered in verse 27 
It says, Now at this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a, a great famine all over the world, and this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in proportion that, and in proportion, look at this, now God is not calling for you to give more than you have. Okay? God's not calling you to go out and max out your credit cards and to give more than you have. He's not calling he's he's not called any of us to do that, right? Nor is he necessarily asking you to give away your only vehicle when you need it to get to work. Yeah, it just so, there's balance and we have to see the We Lord. have to have balance. You have to use wisdom. Don't don't give your car if your car gets you to work and you got to work, right? I mean common sense says, in the proportion that any of the, the disciples had means, each of, them each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. So again, um, it's done with wisdom, but again, it was done to help the believers. And again, these, these offerings that they're taking was not for themselves, but it was to help the poor. Turn to Romans chapter 15. And, and just like Amy was saying, the poor also means widows. It also means, single honestly, moms. it means single moms. People that are doing their best to take care of their families and they're struggling. People that, that are working, you know, 40, 50 hours a week and they're still not making ends meet. These are the ones, right? And in Romans 15, verse 25. Paul is saying, now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. So Paul is saying that, you know, you know, Christianity came out of the people that were in Jerusalem, the saints that were there and stuff. And so these people that are living in these Gentile places of Achaia and Macedonia, they're indebted to share with them. So there is an indebtedness to share the share financially with those who share the gospel with us, right? And, and those were people, too, that they were in fellowship with, which is the same in Acts and um, I think in American churches, that we, we have a really bad habit of thinking that if we send $20 a month to a, a, like someone in a starving country, that that's adequate, and we take peace in that because we're putting rice on the table for somebody or whatever, and that's not a bad thing. It's a very good thing. However, we do fellowship among people that, like you said, are like single moms who, who are doing the very best they can, and they can't make ends meet. And you have a third car in your garage that you only drive on the weekends. Right. And w what could you do with that car to help that single mom whose cars broke down? And so, so I think it's just in America, we really pat ourselves on the back because we maybe work at the soup kitchen on the weekend, which again is not a bad thing, but there's more that God wants, us, wants of us to do for those yeah. that are right living right beside us in our small groups, in our churches, the aisle over. You have no idea what people are going through and, and the leadership of a church should help um, 
help us figure out what the needs of others are so that we can help each other and then it just it's just really sad because we we are often given a false peace that we're giving and we're being generous when we're really not right and that's the thing we're not giving to a church right now again we support our leaders but it's not our focus to give to the church our focus is to give to the people in the church right there are people that we know there are probably people that you know that need a help a helping hand and again we're not talking about helping people that that refuse to work people that are you know that can work but won't work people that can support themselves but they won't do it or we're talking about people that are doing the best that they can and need a helping hand okay look at this in James chapter 2 verse 14 James 2 verse 14 says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, being by itself is dead. Do you see that? So if you know somebody that's doing the best that they can do and, and, and you might have something to help them, you might have, you know, someone that, that doesn't have a coat and, it, and wintertime is coming and you've got a closet full of them and you're like, oh, God bless you, brother. We'll pray about that. It says your faith is dead. So again, God wants us to be, re and this is the church, right? The church is not a building. The church is not some place where you go to, to meet with God. The church is the individuals. The church is us. The church is the believers. And we are the, that is the church that we are to support. We are to support one another and to lift up each other. Turn to 1 John 3. We don't have time to go through it and stuff, but um, in Matthew 25, 31 through 46, it talks about the sheep and the goats. And that's the scripture where Jesus said, uh, where he, he blessed the sheep and, and they said, why, Lord? And he says, well, because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in jail, you came and visited me. And they're like, Lord, we didn't even know we were doing that. And he says, as much as you've done it to these, you've done it unto me. And then the goats that he cursed, he said, when I, was, uh, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. You didn't care. When I was naked, you didn't care. You didn't try to clothe me. And so Jesus separated those. So it's a very important thing to Jesus yeah. that we take care of one another. First yeah. John um, 3, verse 16. He says, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, Jesus, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. For whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us love, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. And I believe that's where we are as a church today. We love in word. Like even when someone says, hey, man, I'm, I'm really struggling with some things. I, I need you to pray for me. And we're like, yeah, man, I'll pray for you. Right. And you go away and you completely forget. Right. 
But that's that's the way we are, you know, and we, we're surrounded by people who have needs. We're surrounded by people who are struggling and we don't lift a finger to help them. What if you know someone that can't pay their rent who who's about to get kicked out and you have an extra bedroom? But oh, but that's my that's but that's my sewing room. Or that's my office. I can't give that up. And we're going to look at it in here in a little bit that we also, as children, are to provide for our parents. Alexa, stop. Okay. Alexa, stop. <laughs> Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Did you start the recording? I didn't stop it. Oh, okay. 1 Timothy, Timothy chapter 5. So again, giving in the New Testament is very important. And it's very important to Jesus. But again, it's not, it is important where we give our money and how we give our money. And the, th the problem with the tithe is, is like we give our 10% and we feel satisfied, right? It's like, uh, you know, the whole idea of the tithe is like, I've, I've been listening to this, this one preacher on the radio. He's been talking for over a month on the fact that that Christians should be observing the Sabbath. And what he means, and if I were to tell you his name, you would know who it is because this is an internationally known preacher. But the thing is, is like, okay, so what you're telling me is you, you want us as believers to keep one day of the week holy to God. Well, according to the New Testament, every day is to be holy to the Lord, right? And that's the thing with the tithe too. The tithe, God has not relegated us to this 10%, this certain, this small faction, fraction of our money to give to him. We're to give everything to him, right? If, I, if, I, if I've given to my church, but I see someone that has a need, that doesn't mean that, well, I've given my 10%. I don't need to give to this person, right? That's hypocrisy. It doesn't matter. You know, if you, it, the whole point of the New Testament is if you have it to give and you know someone that needs it, give it to them. And not only just give it to them grudgingly, but give it to them willfully, joyfully, and gladly. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, to older women as sisters, as mothers, sorry, younger women as sisters in all purity, Listen to this. Honor widows who are widows indeed. Now he's going to go through this and he's going to talk about what a true widow is. Now, as when he's talking about widows, he's essentially talking about women who are older, whose, whose husbands married died. Now, again, back in that day, they didn't have relief societies. They didn't have government assisted assistance. They didn't have nursing homes or any of that kind of stuff. If you were an old woman and your husband died, you're going to die unless someone takes care of you or unless you go to the streets and start begging or whatever, because, you know, so Paul is saying that we as the church, we need to take care of people who cannot take care of themselves. Okay. He says, honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow, he's talking about a young person here, a younger widow, has children or grandchildren, grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family. Listen to this. And to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. 
So again, God is also very important of the younger people taking care of the older ones who aren't able to take care of them themselves. It says, now she who is a widow indeed, who has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. So in other words, she's just wasting her life. Um, and I, this has nothing to do with the message, but this is, I think this is very awesome. Is that like if you're an older person and you feel that you have no use, no, no, uh, no purpose for being, you can still be seeking God. You can be praying for your family. You can be praying for the church. You can be praying for the state of our world. You still have a purpose. Probably the greatest purpose that there is in the body of Christ is prayer anyhow. So you can still have a great purpose in a ministry in the body of Christ. Verse 7, prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone, look at this, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of the household... He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So again, God, God, God has not called us to be just video game playing, television watching couch potatoes. God has called us to lead productive lives to where our lives are a blessing to other people. In, in everyday life, whatever we do is affecting the lives of other people. No matter how, how small it might be, how, how insignificant you may think that it is, one word from you might be a blessing to someone that can completely turn their day around, right? Well, the whole Paul's whole thing of working was he worked out of choice because he wanted to be able to bless. Because he wanted people. to bless the church and not be a burden to them. Yeah. Verse 9, and again, um, no condemnation to anyone that has to be supported or to be helped. Again, that's what the church is for. and It is to be done joyfully and gladly and willingly. He says, but uh, verse 9, a widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man. In other words, she can't take care of herself. Having a reputation for good works, and if she, was, she has brought up children, and if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to put younger widows on the, list, on the list for when they feel sensual desires in disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. That is the pledge to remain widows. Again, we're not going to go into that. At that time, they also learn to be idle. They go around from house to house, not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them, and the church must not be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. So there is so much in that that we don't have time to really unpack. But the whole thing about it is, is responsibility. If you can take care of yourself, if you can work, do it. Don't be a, a, a just a, a busybody going around gossiping, wasting time, just just wasting your space. Or as a man sitting around the couch playing video games and not exactly. providing for your family. Be a blessing to others. Be the church. Bless other people. 
If you are being blessed, receive that blessing with gratefulness. Okay? The other thing that's really, really good about that, not, not to go into a lot of detail, but is the fact that there was a responsibility in giving. In other words, he, he, he gave them some stipulations and some guidelines. He, don't just, he didn't just willy-nilly, as I said before, hand a $100 bill right. to, to the drug addict standing on the corner. Not to say you never do that, but there was some responsibility in how they give. Like There was some requirements on the part of the people. The widows had to be faithful. They had to be serving. You know, things yeah. like that. So there's 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 responsibility yeah. that we and, have to have when and, we give too. Yeah, and going back to John Wesley, John, like in, in the 1700s, they had in England what was called debtor's prison. And what happened is if you couldn't pay your debt, they sent you to jail, which is ridiculous because how are you going to pay your debt if you're in jail? And, stuff. and so Jonathan Wesley and the early Methodists, they would go to the jails and if and they would like, how come you're in here? How come you couldn't pay your debts and stuff like that? If it's someone that's just a drunkard, if it's someone that just filtered, you know, just threw his money away, gambled it, whatever, they wouldn't help him. But it was if it was an honest, hardworking man or woman or whatever that did what they could to provide for their family and it wasn't enough, they would help them out. They would give them money to, to get them out of that so that they could get out of jail and provide for their wives and children. So, And so, th- again, the church, we, we don't give on our emotions or because of, because of emotional pleas. Oh, I just need another jet. I just need another mansion because I can't live in the mansion that I got. It's not to be influenced by our emotions. It's to be influenced by common sense and to be discerning. We New Testament 21st century Christians above most things, we need discernment. We'll follow anybody that comes along asking for money. Anybody that says, well, just do this and God's going to bless you. He might not. Okay. So again, what we're seeing is the early church took care of its own, right? Um, they, they would help people in need. Turn to Matthew 23. Now we're going to look at, again, we saw that, so we've looked at three things, or we looked at two things so far. We've looked at uh, how the New Testament, they, God wants us to take care of um, ministers who truly minister, who are, who are in it, uh, because God has called them to do it and they're doing it with all their heart, not like, not trying to get anything out of it, but they're seeking to glorify God and to love their neighbor. God wants us to support those. He also wants us to support the poor, those, the needy, the, the widows, the orphans and things like that. People who can't support themselves. Um, Matthew 23, verse 23. Jesus is giving the Pharisees a hard time. There's a lot of woes in Matthew 23. And in verse 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. So Jesus calls these scribes and Pharisees hypocrites. You're saying, why is he being so hard on them? Why is he calling them hypocrites? He says, For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier... So, so think about this. They tithe mint, dill, and cumin. So they tithe so much that they're tithing their herbs. They're going into their herb cabinet and looking at their bottle of herbs and saying, man, I've got to give 10% of this bottle of my herbs to the, to the temple. Now again, keep in mind that this is when the temple was still standing. This is when the temple services were still happening and things like that. So the temple was still standing at this time. 
He says, For you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Turn to another place, Mark chapter 7. And just a note on that, um, some people use that scripture to say that we need to be, lawfully need to be tithing, but as you said, the temple was still standing, so right. under the law, yes, he, they were doing, their, they needed to do that, they needed to tithe, but he's saying that they neglected the more important matters, which when he brought in his kingdom, <laughs> he was going to be demonstrating that a lot more. And that's the thing, you know, so, so many people, they give their 10% to the church and think that they've done their thing, and yet... They don't have mercy on others. They don't, they don't help other people out with what they could help them out. All these pastors that live in these mansions and stuff, could, you know, how are you helping others? You're always begging for money, but do you give any money to help anybody? Or is it all for your own selfish benefit? Well, a lot of times they trump their horn about how they do give. But <laughs> Which is the, what the Pharisees did. Yes, yes. And hopefully next time we'll talk about that. In Mark 7, verse 6. Jesus is again castigating the Pharisees. He says, He said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy to you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. He says, But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men, neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, You are experts at setting aside the commandments of God, in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, look at this, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is korban, that is to say, given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. So over and over in the Bible, God says, I desire mercy, right, rather than sacrifices. The Pharisees were congratulating on themselves because they tithed even down to their spices and to their to their herbs and things like that. Oh, look at us. Look how holy we are because we tithe this. And instead of supporting their their parents. their parents who are getting old and couldn't take care of themselves, they're like, no, we're giving this to the temple. We're giving this to the work of God. We're giving this to the holy place. God says, Jesus says, by doing that, you invalidate the word of God. Because they're not honoring their parents. Because God is after mercy. And, you know, it's so funny. So, so many of these preachers will preach and they'll say things like, God doesn't need your money. He's doing this for you. Well, God, it's true. God doesn't need your money, but sometimes your neighbor does. And when it comes down, when it comes down to, to like, if I'm in a church and a priester needs another jet, a bigger, faster jet than the one that he has, or there's a poor person beside me that's, that can't pay his rent, I'm giving my money to the poor person. Okay? Now, again, you should support your pastor. You should support the church that you go to and, and all that. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm saying I am not. I am not supporting extravagance over someone that needs Amen. assistance Amen. 
over somebody that needs a helping hand. And sometimes, and, and here's the thing. Again, and I say this very carefully because I don't want us to be mavericks or just to go off the, the deep end or off the reservation or anything like that. But most of our churches aren't struggling, okay? Some of them are, especially small churches and things of that nature, and they need money, and that's okay. It's okay to give to that and things. But there have been times in our lives when it came to, okay, should we give this money to our church or there's this family that's really, really struggling right now. Now, our church, they're, they're not rich. They're not, you know, they're not, you know, wealthy or anything like that. But, and this is when we were going to a different church. But the thing is, is, but this person needs, their family is really, really struggling. And we gave our money to that family. Now, I'm not saying this is something that you do all the time. But the thing is, is we have freedom in the body of Christ because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That building, that denomination, that church that you go to is not the body of Christ. But this person beside you is. And even if they don't go to your church, even if they go to a different church, a different denomination or whatever, they are your brother in Christ if they love the Lord from a pure heart, right? And it may be your someone who doesn't go to church at all that may need your help. You know, we're still commanded to give. Jesus gave to the unrighteous as well as the righteous. So, and that's the thing. It's not about, you know, okay, you want to have a beautiful church? I, you know, I'm not against that per se. But we get so caught up in that, don't we? We get caught up in, oh, we need to have the finest carpet. We need to have the best sound system. We need to have these lights that are just so so marvelous. This sound system that's, you know, so expensive and things like that. That's okay. But more than anything, we need to focus on the body of Christ and the people that make up the body of Christ. Okay? And the thing is, is... All these preachers that preach on tithes and they preach that the tithe is for today and that we as New Testament creatures, uh, New Testament um, uh, believers. people, believers should be paying our tithes. And, and they go through Malachi 3 and say, you're cursed with a curse if you're not tithing. And, and but, you know, pour out your money in the storehouse and God will bless you and all this kind of stuff. Remember, there were three tithes in the Old Testament. And according to Deuteronomy 14, there was a poor tithe. Every, their tithes would go in seven-year cycles, right? And every three years, part of that tithe was to be given to the Levites and to the poor. On the seventh year, they were to leave their lands fallow and not till them, not harvest them. And that way, any poor person, anybody could come and get all the fruit that they needed, all the food that they needed to survive. So every third year and every seventh year, the poor people could be provided for. Okay? Now... Wasn't the poor tithe once a year too, right? No, no. it was every third every year. Third year. Okay. So here's the thing. You teachers who teach tithing, who teach that we were bound by the Old Testament sacrificial laws of tithing, do you take times, periods, where your tithe goes completely to the poor. Does that happen? Because if it doesn't happen, you are not obeying the laws of tithing and you are cursed with a curse. If that's true, 
true if we're supposed to be tithing, right? So, in, in other words, if they're living by that law, they need to, to walk according you to that law, even you, though it's not really a law anymore. You can't take a part of it and say that this applies today and not take the whole thing, okay? So, again, what are we saying? We are saying that God has called us to provide to, to we are brothers, right? And as brothers and sisters, we are to provide for, we are to take care of each other more, first and foremost, and then you can take care of a bit, you, you take care of your pastor, your preachers, and, and those who are not living extravagant lifestyles, but those who are preaching the gospel from a pure heart with, with all their heart. Yes. And then if you want to give to a building or whatever, whatever, that's fine. Okay. So. This is how we give. Um, I hope that it's been a blessing. I hope that it's um, caused you to think a little bit, maybe. Um, I know that we don't do that very much in the church. But, um, yeah. So, next week um, we're going to talk, we're, we're talk about uh, prosperity teachers and stuff like that. Okay? You guys have a great day. God bless.